Hello, and welcome to The Context. My name is Scott Pruitt, and I'm an anchor with News China. With our podcast, we aim to provide insight into the current trends of modern China, allowing you to clearly see what's happening today through a historical lens. Today, we're going to talk about a true Renaissance man of the Chinese Ming Dynasty. He was a bureaucrat, agricultural scientist, astronomer, and mathematician. Meanwhile, he became the first Chinese to publish translations of European books in China. This is also the 100th episode of The Context. Over the past two years, we've endeavored to provide listeners with an inside account of China's history and the fascinating stories behind its ancient cultural relics. In the future, The Context will strive to help you have a more complete understanding of China, including the great opportunities the country brings to the world, as well as the challenges it faces. On the last day of October, China launched the Space Lab module, Meng Tian, taking the construction of the Tiangong Space Station into its final stage. Ever since China embarked on its journey to build a moderately prosperous society in all respects, what has been achieved in terms of scientific and technological advances is nothing short of a miracle. Life in most countries around the world is being changed by advances in science and technology, but perhaps none can match the pace or extent of change seen in China. It's hard to imagine that as recently as the late 1970s, most people in China were still stuck in a kerosene lamp-powered lifestyle without electricity in their homes. Communication with family and friends relied solely on what we now call snail mail, and long-distance travel meant hours or even days crammed into slow-moving, standing-room-only trains. But steady progress over the past four decades has led China to become the world's leader in many sectors, from renewable energy to its 5G network, from high-speed rail transportation to quantum computing via satellite, and the list goes on. One key indicator of China's growing innovative capacity is that this year it climbed up to 11th place among 132 countries and economies on the Global Innovation Index published by the World Intellectual Property Organization. This marks the country's 10th consecutive ascent, bringing it to the top of the 36 upper middle-income economies. China's scientific and technological advances made in modern and contemporary times have much to do with a Ming Renaissance man in the 17th century. His name is Xu Guangqi, and he was instrumental in the introduction of Western science and technology into China and is arguably the torchbearer of China's enlightenment. In collaboration with Italian Jesuit missionary Matteo Ricci, Xu translated six volumes of Euclid's Elements, thus laying the foundation for modern mathematics in China. On the basis of extensive fieldwork, he compiled the Complete Treatise on Agriculture, one of ancient China's four great agricultural books. He also presided over the reform of the Chinese calendar, which embraced the concept of a spherical earth. 
Xu Guangqi was born in Shanghai in the year 1562 into an ordinary family of modest means. His father engaged in both farming and teaching to make ends meet, while his mother and grandmother supplemented the family income by spinning and weaving. At the age of 19, Xu Guangqi passed the first stage of the imperial examination system on the county level. In those days, the Ming Dynasty employed a three-tiered imperial examination system, starting from the county level to the provincial level, and then up to the highest metropolitan and palace exams. It took Xu seven attempts over a period of 13 years before finally passing the next stage of the examination at the provincial level. To make a living, Xu Guangqi went to Xiaozhou in South China's Guangdong province to teach in the year 1591. There at a Catholic church, Xu Guangqi met Lazaro Catania, an Italian Jesuit missionary who had been dispatched to China. For Xu Guangqi, this marked his first contact with a Catholic priest from the West. When Cantanio showed Xu around the church, Xu was amazed by a world map he saw hanging on a wall. Cantanio explained in detail about China's geographic relation to the rest of the world based on this great map of 10,000 countries, while Xu was surprised to find that the earth was round with five continents and three oceans, completely overturning the traditional Chinese concept of round sky and square earth. Catanio also told Xu that this map was produced by Matteo Ricci, chief of the Jesuit church in China. Xu instantly remembered the name of the Italian missionary who was a pioneer in the attempt at promoting mutual understanding between China and the West. The Jesuit expansion into East China started with their arrival in Portuguese-occupied Macau in the year 1562. Later, they were allowed to enter the Chinese mainland via Guangdong province in the year 1582. Then, with the help of some imperial officials, they managed to expand their mission northward. But the Jesuit mission in China did not stabilize and flourish until the year 1601, when Ming Emperor Xianzong permitted them to reside in Beijing. Although Matteo Ricci was not the first Jesuit missionary to enter China, his legacy has perhaps been the most significant. This is partly because of the various achievements associated with his name, receiving the permission to live in Beijing, drawing a famous world map, being accepted by Chinese officials on the basis of his command of the Chinese language, and simply living for nearly 30 years in a dramatically different culture. Thanks to the missionary expansion, European sciences were introduced to China through the Jesuits. Intent on spreading the Catholic faith in the Ming Empire, the Jesuits first endeavored to gain favor among those of the educated class in order to win over more followers. One of their strategies was to import innovative technological devices and introduce scientific theories hitherto unknown in China that were of sufficient attraction to some educated Chinese, which naturally helped establish the prestige of the Catholic Church. Thus, the Jesuits ushered in the first wave of intellectual contact between the two civilizations. When Xu Guangqi met Matteo Ricci for the first time in the year 1600, he was attracted by the various Western scientific classics brought by Ricci, as well as the odd-looking scientific instruments. Four years later, after Xu Guangqi finally succeeded in the highest metropolitan and palace exam, he started studying under Matteo Ricci collaborating with him in translating Western classics on mathematics, hydraulics, and geography. 
Xu Guangqi thus became the first of his countrymen to translate European books into the Chinese language. Their most famous translation is the first six volumes of Euclid's Elements. By then, Xu Guangqi had been admitted into the central power of politics in charge of Hanlin Academy, the top academic institution in imperial China. Well aware of the value of the elements as the foundation of Western science, Xu hoped to leverage mathematical knowledge to make the country prosperous, strengthen the people, and to put these concepts to civil use for the benefits of society. His resolution and dedication in facing up to Western intellectual challenges earned him the credit of inaugurating China's Age of Enlightenment. Xu Guangqi wanted to continue the translation of the next nine volumes of the Elements, but Ricci insisted that it depended on the reader's response to the first six volumes. In the year 1610, the dying 58-year-old Matteo Ricci left these final words. I traveled thousands of miles to China and will die without regret. My last wish is to complete the book I co-translated with Xu and change the Chinese way of thinking. Unfortunately, it took more than two centuries for a translation of all 15 volumes of the elements to be completed. The monumental task was finally capped off thanks to the joint efforts of Qing mathematician Li Shanlan and British missionary Alexander Wiley. From 1607 to 1610, Xu Guangqi was forced to retire from public office and return to Shanghai to observe the mourning period for his deceased father in accordance with Confucian tradition. It was during this time that he experimented with Western-style irrigation methods and with the cultivation of sweet potatoes and turnips. Based on his research and practice, Xu Guangqi compiled the Complete Treatise on Agriculture, which became one of the most important works on agriculture in Chinese history. It covers topics including farm management, land reclamation, hydraulic engineering, grain and vegetable planting, as well as new technology in sericulture, cotton growing, and grafting techniques. Such comprehensiveness ensured the book exerted a far-reaching influence on agriculture in China over the three centuries that followed. From 1629 until his death in 1633 at the age of 71, Xu Guangqi was engaged in completing the reform of the Chinese calendar. To undertake this task, he brought in the Jesuits to help. Under Xu's direction, the Jesuits and their Chinese colleagues designed new astronomical instruments, calculated the movements of the celestial bodies, and produced a new system of the Chinese lunar calendar, which has been in use until today. To commemorate Xu Guangqi's death, Emperor Chongzhen took an official leave of absence for one day, a rare honor that only a few thousand bureaucrats have enjoyed during the more than 2,000-year history of imperial China. Xu Guangqi was buried in his hometown, Shanghai, where one of the central districts is named after him, Xu Jiahui. And his tomb is located in Guangqi Park, known as a peaceful oasis among the urban hustle and bustle. In May 2021, the International Astronomical Union approved China's application for naming eight new features on the moon around the landing site of the Chang'e 5 probe. One of them is named Xu Guangqi to commemorate all his contributions in the field of astronomy. Well, that's the end of our 100th podcast. Our theme music is by the famous film score composer Rock Chun. 
We want to thank our writer, Yu Wei Tao, translator Yang Guang, and copy editor Pu Ren. And thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed it, and if you did, please tell a friend so they too can understand the context. Thank you.